Welcome, skinny peeps. Today is March 14th, 2019. My name is Bevan Caramello, and you are listening to The Skinny with Jesus. I am so glad you've tuned in today. And I just real quick, before we get started, I want to give a quick shout out to my dad. Tomorrow is going to be his 70th birthday. So happy birthday, pops. Love you. All right. Well, we are nearing the end of our current series. It's called Lord, Teach Us How to Pray. We've got, I think, two more episodes left after today's episode. Today, we arrive at our last verse in what is commonly known now as the Lord's Prayer. You've probably heard that said before. Um, it's the, Jesus's disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. The only request they ever specifically made of Jesus while he was here on this earth. It wasn't, Lord, teach us how to turn water into wine. It wasn't, Lord, will you please teach us how to heal the sick? The one thing they said, the thing that just boggled their minds, they watched him in his daily life and his prayer life. And they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And so that is what we've been studying what we call the Lord's Prayer was his response to them. And we've been walking through it in Matthew chapter 6, verse by verse. Okay. So as we get started here, I'm just going to read that for us real quick. It's Matthew chapter 6, and it's verses 9 through 13. We have already done verses 9, 10, 11, 12, and today we're going to unpack verse 13. Here we go. It says, this is Jesus talking here. Remember, he's answering his disciples. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay, let's stop right there. So verse nine, hallowed be your name. We talked about that a few weeks back. That's praise, right? Jesus began every prayer with praise. Hallowed be your name. And then we talked about verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done. This this idea of surrender, right? Praise, surrender, your will, God, not my will. Praying for your will, even if it's not what I think I want, or even if I don't understand it. And then verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. That's the manna, right? Trusting God for provision for our um, physical needs and our spiritual needs, right? That's trust, trusting Him to meet our needs. And then um, our last episode, forgive us, right? That was a tough one, I think, because we learned that forgiveness is is tied um, to repentance. So forgiveness of others, as well as seeking forgiveness from others and from God. So it's not just asking other people to forgive us for the things that we've done. It's not just asking God to forgive us for the things that we've done, but it's also being willing to forgive others for the wrongs that have been done to us. That was a big one for me too. Today, we arrive at verse 13, deliver us. We're going to be focusing on God's protection, okay? Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. This idea of of protection, okay? And we're going to break this verse into two sections. One, 
temptation, that first part of the verse, and lead us not into temptation. And then two, deliverance from the enemy. Okay. They are tied together for sure, but slightly different as well. Okay. So first, lead us not into temptation. So as I was studying this week, um, I looked this verse up in many different versions of the Bible, and I found one in the NLT that translated it, Lord, don't let us yield to temptation. And at first, I I thought, okay, I can get on board with that. As I was studying this verse, I thought, that makes sense, right? Lord, help us to yield or don't let us yield to temptation. So in other words, don't even pause, right? Don't even let us yield. So I thought of like a car. Just keep right on moving past that that temptation. Don't yield for the temptation. Just keep right on going. And I thought, okay, I can get on board with that. I, I kind of like that. Except that when I was researching this verse further and I got really down into it, the way it unpacks uh, word by word in the Greek, this word literally means to bring into, Okay. This word, lead us not into temptation, lead right there. It it doesn't translate in the Greek. It doesn't translate to yield. So while I liked that prayer, it wasn't exactly what the verse says. And so I kept studying a little bit further. This prayer is really, Lord, don't allow us to be brought to sin or brought to temptation. It really is, lead us not. Or don't allow us to be brought to. Okay? So it's important to note here, though, as as we're unpacking this verse, that God never tempts us. Okay? There's a big difference between, Lord, please don't allow us to be brought to temptation. And, Lord, please don't tempt me with X, Y, Z. Okay? This prayer isn't, Lord, please don't tempt me. Because... As we're going to see, I want you guys to turn with me. If you've got your Bibles handy, turn with me to the book of James. There is a big difference between, Lord, please don't let us be brought to temptation. And Lord, please don't tempt me. In James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, I want you guys to listen here. James, brother of Jesus, okay, he says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So, God never tempts us right? James is talking here, temptation comes from our own evil desires. And I want us to look in one other place, and we're going to put these two together. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4 to start out, talks about a time that you guys may have heard of um, in church or even way back into the Sunday school days when you were kids, um, where Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Okay? I'm going to read it for us. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 4 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter 
came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That is Jesus referencing scripture from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 8. So here we are, right here, this part in Matthew. Jesus is in the wilderness, right? He's hungry. Matthew tells us that he'd been fasting for 40 days, okay? So his body is probably weak and tired, right? He's had no food for 40 days. And he's out in the wilderness. He's basically camping with no equipment, right? No tent, no sleeping bag. (laughs) You guys, I've been camping with all of that stuff, with all the equipment you could possibly want from Academy or Dick's Sporting Goods. And I'm telling you, it can still be pretty miserable if the weather's not right, right? I mean, we could still wake up really tired. But Jesus has none of that, okay? So he's he's out there in the middle of the wilderness. He's hungry. And what? And then what? And the tempter came. Did you guys catch that in verse 3? Satan is referred to as the tempter says, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to come to become bread. You guys, I think it's important here to note Christ's circumstances because isn't that pretty typical? I thought, you know, temptation comes when we're at our weakest, right? When we're tired, when we're exposed, when we're vulnerable, when we're frustrated, Why is that? Why do you think? You guys hear me? You've you've heard me quote this verse so many times, um, so often, because I it's it's truth and I love it, Um, and it's just such a, a a good reminder. The reason Satan came to Christ in the wilderness when he was at his weakest is because. Satan is who we're up against, right? This verse that I, the verse that I quote to you guys all the time, it's because our battles aren't against flesh and blood. That's from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Our battles, our struggles are not against flesh and blood. Satan, the tempter, he watches and he waits for moments when we are going to be most vulnerable to temptation. He watches and he waits. He knew. He knew that Jesus was hungry. He knew he'd been fasting for 40 days. He'd been watching. So what did he tempt him with? He tempted him to break that fast and create bread from stones. He's a son of God. He could do whatever he wanted, right? And he was out there by choice. He wasn't made to be out there. He could have gone back. He could have gone and gotten food. He could have had food brought to him at the end of, of this uh, story in chapter four in verse 11, it says that the devil left him and then the angels came and attended to him. They came and fed him and nourished him and, and, and fed his physical body to get him back to strength. He could have had that happen at any time. But I think we see here, it's, it's an important lesson to take away that when we're at our most vulnerable, that's when we can expect to be tempted. In 1 Peter 
chapter 5, verse 8, Peter compares Satan to a prowling lion looking for someone to devour. A prowling lion looking for someone to devour. I can just imagine him out there in the wilderness watching Jesus, waiting for the moment where he was at his weakest. And I can imagine him doing it with you and with me too. So based on these these two places that we've looked at in Scripture, where James talks about the fact that God never tempts us, but that our temptation comes from our own evil desires, and then seeing that, that Satan tempts us depending on our circumstances and what we're in the middle of, right? The tempter comes. I think we can define temptation as, as basically any enticement to sin, whether that's coming from our own evil desires or from our outward circumstances, that maybe the enemy or the, the tempter is going to take advantage of, okay? So temptation is any enticement to sin, whether that's coming from our own evil desires or from our outward circumstances that Satan plans to take advantage of and use against us, okay? All right, so back to prayer, okay, where we were in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. Back to our prayer for today. Lord, lead us not into temptation. Okay, so let's let's unpack that. Let's break that down. Let's keep going. Lord, lead us not into temptation. Could also be said, Lord, don't allow us to be brought to temptation, right? Or Lord, please don't allow my flesh to be tempted by more than I can resist. You guys, it's this request for protection, this awareness that God is in charge of everything. He doesn't cause us to be tempted, right? We saw that in the book of James, chapter one. That's inside of us. That's our flesh. That evil desire that flirts with temptation. God doesn't cause us to be tempted, but he is in charge of what gets to us and what doesn't. Lord, keep temptation from being placed in front of me. By who? You guys, who puts it there? Satan, the enemy, the tempter. But you guys, God is completely in control of what he allows to be brought to us. He's completely in control of our circumstances. I want you guys to hear that again. God is completely in control of what he allows to be brought to us. Okay, so here is where our two-part verse, right, that we talked about in the beginning, this part of our prayer, where it all kind of comes together here, okay? Lead us not into temptation, or Lord, please don't let us, don't allow us to be brought to temptation. And then the second part of our verse, and deliver us from evil. You guys, that is better translated depending on which version you have. It may say, and deliver us from evil, or it may say, and deliver us from the evil one. That is actually a better translation here. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. Okay, while you're thinking about that, I want you to turn with me to the book of Job, okay? Job chapter 1. Let me get there. All right. Um, I'm going to read verses 
6 through 12 for us, and then we're going to flip over just a page or two to Job chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. Okay, you guys just sit back and listen to this if you don't have your Bibles in front of you, because um, if you've never read this before, this is this is going to really open your eyes, open your mind. It's going to blow your brain a little bit um, when you tie all this together or when you see God tie all this together for you. Okay, Job 1 verse 6 says, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. You guys, if that doesn't sound like a prowling lion, I don't know what does. From roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Okay, so here we have this this picture. Satan has approached God, and he has requested to take all the blessings from Job, all the blessings that God has given Job. Satan basically says, you've put a hedge of protection around him. I can't get to him, right? I can't get to his household and everything he has. You've blessed the work of his hands. He has it made. But watch, if you remove that hedge of protection and allow me in, take everything away that he has He's not going to follow you anymore. He's not going to be this blameless, upright man of God anymore. And so what God says, okay, very well then. Everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. So Satan is not allowed to touch Job. Okay, flip over with me to chapter two. I'm going to read verses one through six. Job's second test. Okay, here we go. So if you read, if you guys are reading on your own later in the week, finish chapter one and you're going to see what happened to Job. It was terrible. It was terrible. Satan took everything Job had. And then in chapter two, we see a second test. It says, on another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Again, there's our lion, right? There's the tempter. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Again, God's asking these questions, but he already knows all the answers. He's God. There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. He's almost baiting him, right? He's almost, it's like he's baiting Satan. And then goes on, God goes on to say, and he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied, a man will give all he has for his own life, but stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, 
He is in your hands, but you must spare his life. Okay, let's pause right there for a second. So each time Job was tested, Satan had to request permission from God to do what he did to Job. Did you guys see that? Did you pick that up while I was reading? And if you're like me, that's pretty hard to take in, right? On one hand, it's kind of comforting to be reminded that God is always in control. I love the thought of this this hedge of protection around me, around my family, around my loved ones, my friends, that Satan can't get past unless God allows him in, right? But then on the other hand, it's hard to understand why a good God, a loving father, why he would ever allow hardship to come on his children, And you guys, I'm the first to say I definitely don't know all the answers here. Um, I do know, though, that Scripture tells us repeatedly that we cannot fathom the mind of God, that He's too big, that His plan is too great. And Scripture also tells us that He's good, and He's loving, and He's righteous, And he's always working things for our good. So I want to read you guys a quote that has helped me with this concept over the years. Um, I have it taped in the front of my Bible, and I also keep it on my fridge. I need to be reminded often that God is bigger than I can wrap my brain around. And I'm thankful for it because if he wasn't bigger than my mind, he wouldn't be big enough, right? I don't want a God that I can fit in a box of my own understanding because I know my limits are many and he has none, right? So this quote that I keep in my Bible and I have on my fridge, it's by C.H. Welch. He says, The Lord may not definitely have planned that this should overtake me, but he has most certainly permitted it. Therefore, though it were an attack of an enemy, By the time it reaches me, it has the Lord's permission, and therefore all is well. He will make it work together with all of life's experiences for good. So, He will make it work together with all of life's experiences for good. So, as this truth pertains to temptation— I think we see in scripture that sometimes God allows temptation into our lives. He allows us to be brought to temptation for several reasons. You guys read the book of Job when you get a chance, because not only was Satan only allowed to do what God permitted, but in the end, God gave Job a double portion of everything that had been taken away. So God allows us to be brought to temptation for several reasons. I think one of the main reasons is that he knows when we need to be tested, right? He knows when we'll fail, just like he knows when we'll triumph over temptation. And I think he also knows when failing a test will point us toward repentance, toward growth, toward change. 
Job didn't fail the test. Job, basically, the everything happens to Job in the first two chapters. And if you look, Job is 42 chapters long. Job spends the next 40 chapters, right up to chapter 42, working it out. Everything happens in two chapters, and then he spends the next 40 chapters working it out with God, trying to figure out how all of this happened to him, how a good God let this happen to him. But he never curses God. He trusts God. He didn't fail that test. He triumphed over it in the end. But you know what? God knows when failing a test, it's going to point us toward change. He knows when we need to be tested so that we can also see for ourselves that in Him, where we used to be weak, now we are walking in Him and we are strong. That we've grown, right? We need to see that we've grown. That now that old hat, that old temptation that you've worn for so long, we need to know that now we can stand up under the weight of it. It doesn't own us anymore. And so God allows us to be tested sometimes to show us that. Just like he knows when we're going to fail the test, he knows when we're going to ace the test. You guys, how good does it feel to ace a test? God knows when acing that test will build us up for his glory, right? Not our own glory, his glory. He knows when our success, when our victory over temptation will point others to him. Okay, let's, let's see, where do I want to take us? Let's look at the book of Luke. Um, chapter 22, you know, the other thing I started thinking about, not only does he know when our success is going to build us up and point other people to him, but he also knows when our failure will ultimately be for his glory and put and point others to him as well. Look at Luke chapter 22. I'm going to read verses 31 through 34 starts out. This is Jesus talking here. He's talking to Peter. Okay, uh, it starts out. He says, "Simon, Simon, that's an, uh, another that's another name for Peter. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers." But he replied, "This is Peter now." He replied, "Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death." Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. So once again, here we see Satan asking permission to tempt Peter. He, he comes to Jesus and he says that he wants to sift Peter as wheat. You guys, when wheat is sifted, the chaff blows away, okay? So Satan, basically, he's saying here that he thinks Peter will fall away and turn from Jesus when the going gets tough. But God knew better, right? You guys know that story. Yes, God knew that Peter would fail this test. He knew that ultimately, when put to the test, Peter was going to deny that he even knew Jesus as as Jesus was being dragged away the night before his crucifixion. 
He's about to be, he's about to stand trial. And, and Peter denied that he even knew him. Here he is. He's saying, he's saying, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. He thinks he is, right? He's overestimated himself here. He's underestimated his flesh. When push came to shove, Jesus knew he was going to deny him. He knew he was going to fail the test. But he also knew that it would bring about such a change in Peter that failing this test would bring about such a change in Peter that after Christ's death and resurrection, Peter would spend the rest of his life building God's church. You guys, he would ultimately be crucified upside down for his unrelenting faith in Jesus. That's how he died. Crucified, but not right side up because he didn't feel fit to die as his Savior had died. So that he asked to be crucified upside down. Peter means rock. God knew he would build his church on the repented heart of a man who would never fall to that temptation again. Peter would never deny Christ again. Right? That failure, that test, Peter would repent. He would grow. He would change. So God allowed him to be brought to temptation knowing he would fail that test. Also, knowing he'd never fail it again. And you guys, scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. You guys, if temptation is allowed to cross our path, we can be certain God has provided the way out, the way to stand up under it. Right? Okay, let's look back at Matthew chapter 4 again where Jesus allows Satan to tempt him in the wilderness. Okay, I already read us verses 1 through 4. I'm going to pick it up in verse 5 and go all the way to the end of this story in verse 11. It says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put your... Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. So how did he battle the enemy? The tempter. How did Jesus battle the tempter? You guys, he battled him with scripture. His responses to those temptations, he didn't have a gun. 
He had scripture. There wasn't a wrestling match. He battled Satan. He battled that evil, that temptation with scripture. He fought that spiritual battle with spiritual weapons. You guys have heard the saying, it's like showing up to a gunfight with a knife. We don't want to show up to a gunfight with a knife. And in this situation with a spiritual battle, you need to show up with spiritual weapons. In other words, you guys, it's a battle you can't win if you're not armed properly. So why are you coming up against this non-flesh and blood enemy with flesh and blood weapons? You can't beat the tempter with willpower. You're not going to win with the power of positive thinking, okay? All the new age counseling and quotable sayings and self-help books in the world won't stop a prowling lion looking to devour you. We're going to have to get serious about getting ourselves armed correctly if we ever want to win these battles of temptation. We've got to get in our Bibles, you guys, every day. And that is the whole point of the skinny. It's not go to church on Sunday and get fed there and then listen to the skinny on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday and get fed there. You guys, use those times in the Word to point you toward your own private time in the Word, time in prayer, time with God, just one-on-one. That same chapter in Ephesians chapter 6, where we talked about that our battles are not against flesh and blood, it also tells us how to arm ourselves for battle with our spiritual enemy, okay? Ephesians 6.17 tells us to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, that is our weapon. That's our sword, that's why we're here this week, right? Lord, teach us how to pray. So I'll leave you with this. I'm going to give you guys one last verse, and then we'll wrap it up. Turn to, if you've got your Bibles, if not, you know I'm going to read it for you. John 10, 10. Okay, it says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's Jesus talking there. The thief, the tempter, the prowling lion, the enemy, right? He comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus came that we may have life and have it abundantly, guys. So our word for our verse today, Matthew 6, 13, our word is protection. How do we pray? One, we start with praise. Two, we surrender. Lord, not my will, but your will. Three, we trust. We trust in his provision. Four, forgiveness. We're going to have to work it out. We're going to have to ask for forgiveness. We're going to have to offer it. Five, protection. Protection. Lord, protect us. In a nutshell, you guys, that's it. 
acknowledging that everything we face has passed through the loving, sovereign filter of God. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we praise you. We praise you. We praise you. You are a big God. Lord, so big that we can't always understand you. So big that we can't fathom you. We can't always understand your thoughts or your ways. But Lord, we trust you. We love you. We choose you. We want to know you more. Lord, we pray that you would just continue to grow us in our prayer life. Challenge us, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would protect us from the evil one. Lord, that you would keep us from being brought to any temptation. That you don't plan to use for our good and for your glory. And Lord, we can trust you with it. Your word says that we can trust you with it. So we choose to. Lord, I pray for my skinny peeps. I pray for each one of them all across the world listening right now in this moment. I pray that you would just reach down into their hearts, Lord, and speak a specific word to each one of them. I pray that your love would be spoken here, that your truth would be spoken here, that your light would reign here, Lord. Do a mighty work in us. We know that where we are weak, you are strong. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys, we are almost finished with this series. I hope you are being stretched and strengthened as much as I am. We have wrapped up our last verse of the Lord's Prayer today, but we still have two more episodes left on prayer, okay? Um, one, we are going to be learning, um, to pray within God's will. And then, uh, another one, our last one, we're going to be talking about praying in the spirit and, and trying to figure out just what that means, what that looks like. Okay. So stay tuned. You don't want to miss those. I have loved this time together and you know, until next time I'm going to be praying for you and yours. Bye now. <laughs>